The Water Values Podcast, Session 113. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resource, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinnis. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey, and thanks so much for joining us. We have a, a great show for you today. Reese Tisdale is here for a full-length episode. Uh, rather than just give uh, you the, the snippet of Bluefield on Tap, there has been there have been so many deals and so much activity in the water M&A market, in the business side of, the, of, of water, uh, I, I felt it was important to dedicate not just a little five-minute snippet to it, but to, to really get in and dig in on some of the issues affecting uh, the, the, the business side of water. And so uh, we have Reese here who, as always, does a great job uh, and really shares a lot of, of interesting uh, talking points, key points for those of you in the industry uh, you ought to you ought to really hear this because you know Reese as as you know if you're a long time listener Reese knows this stuff and does a great job on the Bluefield on Tap segments. Uh, before we get into that, as usual, a couple housekeeping housekeeping matters. We have uh, four new ratings, all five stars. So thank you so much for those of you who've rated the podcast. I also want to thank several folks who have reviewed the podcast. The first review says, uh, "Great show, five stars by Mark twenty three ten." Uh, Mark 2310 says, keep up, keeps you up to date, talking points you should know. So thanks for the great rating and review, Mark 2310. Really appreciate that. The next rating and review uh, is by P. Reagan, uh, and P. Reagan says, finally, giving, giving it five stars. Uh, I have really enjoyed the podcast so far. It's great to have something those in the industry can connect to. In a perfect world, there would be more bite-sized episodes sharing some more stories of success, as well as content that us water people can geek out to. So uh, P. Reagan, thanks for the five-star rating. Great review. Really appreciate it. And uh, finally, we have uh, uh, a rating and review from Bethany Rader, who says, my favorite podcast exclamation point. I love those exclamation points. So thanks very much, Bethany. And Bethany says, Dave does an incredible job at exploring various water industry topics with his guests and creating an informative podcast that is fun and intriguing to listen to. I'm a senior double majoring in environmental science and economics, and I love listening to the Water Values podcast. Thanks for the service you provide, Dave. It's a real gift and treat. So thank you very much, Bethany. You are too kind. I really appreciate uh, you leaving that fantastic rating and review on iTunes. So uh, thank you again. I really appreciate it. It's, it's fantastic. Every time you start feeling down or that, you know, you just don't have the energy to do one of these, you see, you, you see these ratings and reviews, and it really kind of... Uh, it gives you that spark you need to get over the tough times. The The next thing I want to point out is uh, for those of you who have been enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a donation on the website. It just helps uh, defray the cost of putting the podcast on. You know, it's not, it's not the without its costs. And uh, if it, just any donation, any denomination uh, makes a difference. And we really appreciate it here to, uh, to help again, defray the costs of, you know, hosting expenses. That's both web and media hosting. Um, you know, the, all the various things that, that the web providers uh, ding you for uh, on, uh, on putting the website out and getting the podcast up, your donation helps defray those costs. So thank you very much for those of you who donated and for those of you who donate in the future. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, now let's get on 
to the meat of the show, we have, again, Reese Tisdale, who does a fantastic job talking about the water M&A section. So with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Reese, welcome back to the Water Values Podcast. This time, uh, not just a Bluefield on Tap segment, but a complete uh, interview. It's been about a, over a year and a half or around that time since uh, uh, since we last had you on. And, and as we've kind of discussed at the Bluefield on Tap segments as we're preparing for those, there's been a lot of M&A activity. Uh, and now there's and enough time has passed here that that, that, that is really uh, – you know, there's been a lot of deals, a lot of a lot of interest, a lot of things going on, and so uh, I thought we'd just have a complete segment talking about the water M and A market. Uh, but before we get onto that, Reese, for those for who who may not have heard your prior interview, can you just give a little background on yourself and and how you got into the water space? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm president of the Bluefield Research. We're a Boston-based market research firm. Uh, we founded the company, partners and I, about 2012. Uh, we have all have market back research backgrounds. We've been working various forms of infrastructure overall, looking at telecoms, to energy, renewables, power, and so on. And one thing led to another without getting into too much detail. But in about 2010, 2011, we started talking about new ideas. And then one thing came to another, and we started looking at water. One, we thought there was an opportunity, obviously, for better market intelligence and information covering that water sector. By that, I mean, what are the business models? What are the competitive strategies? What are the size of the markets and investment? And then the other was, you know, how many information providers are out there? So we thought there was an opportunity to play in the space and help companies address water as a business. And that's where we've been since, since then. I guess formally we launched in 2013. It's been a bit of a whirlwind uh, as far as the water sector goes. Everybody's probably rolling their eyes listening to that. But (laughs) I think the reality of it is there is a lot happening. And to your point, M&A is where some of the activity is happening. Yeah, so let's let's jump into that. Um, uh, Could you just give us kind of like the the thumbnail on the current water M&A market? Yeah, so we've been looking at it since, you know, over the past three years primarily. I mean, I think all in, we have about, we're collecting, we have analysts collecting data um, in an ongoing basis. In our data set, we've got about 1,100 transactions that have taken place within the water space. Um, that goes beyond the past three years. So to put it in that time frame, 24, beginning of 2014 to present, We've got about 640 deals that have taken place. And of those, let's say about, uh, you know, I think that's totaled all in about $93 billion. How do we define that? Um, you know, there are companies buying filtration companies or, or uh, membrane companies or smart water companies Uh on the other end of it, you know, there are EPC firms that are buying another EPC firm, but there is a water-related uh, part of the deal that drives us to capture that information. So, all in, it's water-related M&A deals. Right, right. And so, you know, I think you did a good job saying, hey, this this covers a pretty broad spectrum. So, uh, it's not only like technology firms acquiring technology firms or meter companies buying meter companies or and how much do you see um, companies in the water sector kind of uh, 
crossing over and getting into, let, let's say a meter company buys a pipe company or anything. Is there any, do you see any instances where those types of uh, companies are expanding their uh, kind of their footprint within the water sector? Yeah. I mean, it kind of, and I think maybe I'll sort of even step back a little bit to say, okay, we look at it in really three primary buckets. You've got ter- technology, equipment, services companies. You've got what we could, so that's one bucket, which is broad. We've got the investor-owned utility bucket, so that's in the U.S., where companies are buying in that space. Then we've got global utilities and acquisition of other network assets outside of the U.S. Within those three buckets, to your question, absolutely, and what we would call those are outsiders looking in. And so what we're seeing is within the technology and services companies, a good example would be Honeywell. Recently, you know, relatively recently, they bought Elster, which was a metering company that's, you know, but is metering for for electricity, but also for gas, but also water as well. They're getting into that space, and they're actually more recently rumored to be looking at Evoqua. So, these is a large, diversified company getting into the space, investing money. Another example on the utility side or IOU side of things would be Eversource, which is an electric power utility in the New England area, three states, where they recently acquired Aquarian, which was a privately held investor-owned utility owned by Macquarie. And they bought that uh, earlier this year, which was another example of that happening. So you've got deals that are happening in that space. And then, I mean, look, from our end, we're helping companies figure out what the landscape looks like. So there are a number of foreign players looking at mergers and acquisitions or partnerships as a way of getting into, let's say, the U.S. market. So I think that it is, you know, there are a number of other players, whether it be, uh, you know, Japanese, you know, investment, you know, trading houses looking to get into the U.S. space or European players looking to get into Europe or vice versa. How much? How much of all this activity, this M and A activity, is is U.S. based? How much is kind of, you know, in other parts of the country or international or, you know, kind of? Can you give us a flavor for that? Yeah. So we look at that, and I think you know one caveat, and you know the analysts. We have offices in in Europe as well as in the U.S. Um, a big part of the focus, I think, just by nature of information and access to data, uh, a lot of it is going to be U.S. focused. But that being said, so I talked about 640 deals in the U.S., about 56% of that by our records over the past three years has been in the U.S. So that's about, what, 365 deals, give or take, um, that have been in the U.S., whereas this other region would be you know, Asia Pacific, which is about, I think, 100 and, about 145, 150 deals that have happened there over the past three years. So, you know, value-wise, uh, of disclosed transactions in the U.S., we've got about $61 billion of deals over the past three years, and in Asia Pacific would be $12 billion, uh, and then it goes beyond that. So then you get, you know, uh, Middle East Africa, you get a couple deals here and there, and then Europe. Yeah, and and we had talked a little bit about kind of crossing over segment to segment within the within the broader sector. Uh, you know, do you have a, a feel for which segments are kind of quote the hottest? You know, of those of those buckets you identified and the sub sub buckets within them. Yeah, I think, and I think given 
previous comments I've made on Bluefield on tap. I think what smart water, data and analytics, Internet of Things, whatever you want to call it, digital water. That's the hot. I mean, that's catching a lot of buzz. Um, so what we're seeing in that space are, uh, you know, you're seeing EQT, private equity players. They've recently bought uh, Anavise. Xylem was another big deal that happened this past year when they bought Census. So you're seeing that as a big space. And I think a lot of companies on the technology and services side, even EPCs are looking at that space. Like Tetra Tech recently acquired a Indus, I believe it was a smart water or data related company um, this past year. And so I, I, one reason for that is that's sort of the nature of business today, as we all know, um, tracking data, figuring out what's happening with customers and so forth. Um, there are challenges to it, but at the same time, there are also higher margins. So when you're an investor, you, it, it leans more or falls more into the technology and Silicon Valley type uh, uh, PE multiple PEs versus what you're seeing in water. Um, and I think it crosses over regionally. That's a big part of it as well. And it can be applied both across multiple verticals, but it can be applied across boundaries or geographic boundaries. Yeah, and you had mentioned the Eversource transaction. I'm, I'm, that, that one interests me um, because uh, when I first started practicing law around 20 years ago or so, um, there was a. it seemed that there was a movement like DQE was buying up uh, investor-owned utilities. I know NYSource had bought some uh, investor-owned utilities. And, and I think at the time there was a thought – uh, that deregulation was coming coming soon, and those electric utilities wanted to essentially grow their customer base, have another market where they could sell power, uh, and that all that didn't pan out. And they've all it, I, I, DQE, I think, has divested uh, Aquasource and and Nysource has divested their water uh, assets. Uh, do you think that you know? Do do you have any uh, insight into to what Eversource might be? What their what their end game here is? Is it is it kind of the same thing that that uh, that history shown us already once, or you know, what are you thinking about here? I, I think it is. I think one, um, these are companies that are looking. I mean, in a way, Eversource is someone. Someone mentioned to me is sort of cleaning up their their asset base. Um, at the same time, it lines up really well, and there are not a lot of opportunities like this. Let's be honest. I mean, this was a privately held or investor in utility. Aquarian, owned by private equity, private equity uh, company uh, firm, that you know the timing was right, and so what it allows Eversource to do, they have their network, and what they their argument is: look, we can we can roll up these water assets. We understand the utility commission. We understand rate bases. We understand you know critical infrastructure. We already have a brand name within the region, so people aren't panicking. That it's some, you know, I don't know, foreign company that's come in like has happened in the past uh, to, to acquire water assets. So they, they're, they're finding synergies there to do so. At the same time, yeah, it's diversifying their portfolio, portfolio a little bit. Like I said, Aquarian was already privately held. So it wasn't a municipal utility owned by by these cities. So that sort of back and forth was uh, less of an issue. Now, that being said, we are seeing other power and gas companies 
looking into water. We, they're seeing that as an opportunity. I mean, a good example, so let's say EPCOR, who's actually Canadian, or Liberty Utilities, they have assets in the U.S. They're expanding their presence. I think EPCOR just acquired another, another small utility uh, recently. But the point being is once a company has a footprint in place, they planted the flag, then they can start – it becomes a platform of sorts – then they can start rolling up these smaller utilities because, as we all know and we've talked about, about 50,000 community water systems in the U.S., most of which are really small. So for a large company to come in, they need scale, and that's why Aquarian, I think, made sense for them. I think there were I think there were a number of bidders on it. I think it got down to four or five bidders at the end of the day is what I, what I understand. Yeah, and, and I know regulators and, and state legislatures have, have looked into the issue of, hey, we've got these small, all these small utilities, some of which might be troubled. They haven't taken care of their assets, uh, things of that nature. And so I think one of the, one of the carrots that, that regulators and legislatures have been using is that, hey, you might get a, a little extra kicker on your return or you'll be able to rate base more than, than what the, existing utility would typically offer you in a rate base. Um, you know, so let's you know, say they have $800,000 of quote rate base, but, but no one's going to take it over because it's, it's so troubled. And if you get, you know, the opportunity to earn 1.2 million for the rate base of that utility, well, that, all of a sudden that becomes a lot, a lot better deal uh, when you're looking at it. And I, I'm just kind of, I, I think, uh, I think you're right that, that these uh, investors are onto something there, uh, you know, where where that carrot is used, they they are seeing now that the returns might be might be worth it now. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, and I, I agree. And I think there is this broader discussion that uh, uh, you know I'm thinking in this case about the U.S. That look, infrastructure there are problems with our existing infrastructure, people recognizing it as an issue, whether it be Flint, Michigan, whether, I mean, California drought, you're getting these, you know, large storm events that are upending our infrastructure, forcing people to think about how are we going to pay for all of this going forward? And there is a lot of private money out there. Um, the government, you know, is a primary source of funding you know, municipal, local and municipal as to some extent federal government through state revolving funds. There's money out there from them and the rate base, but there's significant strides that need to be made. And this private capital sitting out there through, you know, whether it be power companies or gas companies or just private equity themselves and infrastructure funds, they look at the water sector and say, there's an opportunity here. There's investment needs to be made, and it's a sector that needs money. So there are places to play, and that means that's from everything from supplying technology and solutions sort of upstream in the value chain to downstream to potentially acquiring assets such as utilities and municipal systems. Right, right. Now, uh, you, you've kind of talked and mentioned a number of deals that, that have gone on Um are there any, are there, you know, which of the deals that we've talked about or, or haven't talked about, which, which deals kind of stand out to you as uh, noteworthy deals, excuse me, noteworthy deals that might, um, you know, might, might indicate trends or, um, you know, some other, some other interesting nugget of information for, for folks in the market? 
Yeah, I think, well, one, we talked about Eversource, so we can set that aside. I think that is an interesting one. Um, the other one that everybody's going to get excited, well, excited about, it is significant, was Suez buying GE water. I think mm-hmm. that's more reflective of GE and what's happening. They seem to continue to uh, throw assets overboard um, as they sort of go through their own restructuring. Where I think we're seeing interesting, well, one area, uh, hydraulic fracturing. So what is interesting in that space, we've been seeing a fair amount of deal flow among midstream water companies, as we're calling them. And these are companies, private equities coming in once again, or even, uh, you know, EMPs are spinning off their water management uh, divisions to manage the processor and, you know, from beginning to end of from water supply to water disposal. But what we're seeing, there's a, there's a fair amount of deal flow. There are not a lot of big companies. A lot of it's happening in the Permian Basin in Texas, seeing a little bit in Oklahoma to a lesser extent in places like Pennsylvania. But what it is is indicative of a broader tenor. Companies, uh, investors are coming to terms with where oil and gas price, prices are. They seem to have stabilized. They're, everybody's gotten used to 45 to $50 a barrel. They also see uh, long-term growth in this space. They don't see, you know, I think everybody's come back to reality. But also just the value and dollars that are being spent in that space that need to be managed. And to put that in context, if I haven't mentioned it before, I think our forecast earlier this year, we were looking at about $150 billion being spent over the next 10 years for water management in hydraulic fracturing. $150 billion is a fair amount of money <laughs> when you compare it to things like smart water in the U.S. I mean, smart water, I think we've looked at a numbers about I want to say it's $12 billion over the next 10 years. So it's pretty substantial, and it's it, there's money in the space. Um, you're not dealing with the municipal sector where people are fighting for scraps. But I think one other deal that happened this, uh, this past year, and that was the, when Xylem bought Census. So Xylem is a pure play water company. They're bringing solutions, both equipment and solutions, to the space. What they went to Census acquire their meter technology, but also the data and analytics platform. So I think at the end of the day, Xylem then becomes a more holistic uh, or provides a more holistic offering to municipal utilities as well as industry as well, where they start tying things together, where pumps are tied to a data platform and sensors are tied to a data platform. And then they can offer that to customers to say, we can bring all this together. Everything ideally runs more efficiently everything. Uh, you can do the analysis as you go. So we think that that is uh, a big opportunity. I think we see that as an opportunity, but also we see companies are seeing it as well. And then I think lastly, a little bit harder to track, and that's kind of the services, the engineering, procurement, construction companies. There's a lot of deal flow in that space, probably because that segment is very local in itself. So if you want to work in California, you kind of need to be in California. If you want to work in uh, the United Kingdom, you need to have, you need to be there. And so if you're not, one way to do so is through acquisition. But I think also, not to make this a shaggy dog answer, but I think <laughs> the back end, the back end of that is these EPC. For, there has because of what's happened in oil and gas and mining over the past three or four years, both because of a downturn. 
downturn, a lot of companies have, have struggled a bit. And so I think there's there have been some wounded lambs, so to speak. You talked about you know the Xylem uh, acquisition of Census. Um, are we seeing you know changes in in in, in company profiles, or, or how, how is a company gonna gonna make strategic investments and change its company profile um, from, from in the, at least in the water sector? What what are we kind of looking at in, in that regard? Well, I think you know one what we're trying what companies are starting to do. You know the diversified companies, so. That could be, I mean, I had already mentioned Honeywell, but you're also seeing companies like Cisco Systems or uh, IBM. I mean, they're sort of taking, looking at it from a smart cities approach. That's sort of another buzzword that we're seeing globally about cities spending more, I guess, money, but looking for ways to be more efficient and, and save costs, operating costs and capital costs, expenditures on things like, lighting, things like power, things like communications, but also water is a big part of that. I mean, water touches a lot of these and it uses a lot of that, you know, it uses a lot of power. So we've seen companies like that figuring out ways, you know, additive to their existing existing portfolio of solutions. Um, you know, we're also seeing other companies like pipe companies and they're figuring out ways to look for more margins. It's highly competitive, it's local um, you know, everybody's being squeezed to some extent because it is competitive. Um, so what they're looking to do is, you know, find, you know, niche niche positions where they can acquire someone um, and either changes their position geographically or just by technology. I mean, we're seeing ductile iron companies that are looking towards PV, considering PVC or other plastic materials to add to their portfolio, which maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago may have been unheard of or unthought of. Uh, so, yeah, those are a couple different ways. And I think, like I said, the data and analytics is always, that can be honestly overlaid to anybody anybody's business, let alone our own households. I mean, I think we're all surrounded by phones and iPads and smart thermostats. So that should, that's eventually going to roll over into, uh, into the water space as well. Right. Um, and, and the, the deals we're talking about primarily, are they, they public deals or. Yeah, I think, you know, when I look, we look at this, I mean, I don't have the, I'm trying to think of the exact number, but it's basically, I want to say, you know, of the, so of those 640 deals we're talking about, we've got about a little less than 300 are have been actually disclosed with disclosed deal value, whereas the remainder are not. I think I mentioned a little while ago it was about uh, a little over 300, 350 or so. Yeah. So with that being the case. Um, you know, a lot of more small private deals. That's just what's going to happen. And that, you know, you're seeing small deals like American Water, Aqua America. I mean, they do these tuck-in deals. They're small, but they're they're municipal. But they're usually, you know, they're they're pu- it's public information. Whereas these EPC firms, when you know a large EPC acquires a small one, oftentimes it may not be. So. Right, right. And and you know, we we've now seen that the um, the at least the New York Stock Exchange is over twenty three thousand. Um, what does that what does that kind of mean for for folks that are buying and selling uh, utilities? I mean, is it is it sellers market, buyers market? Where are we where are we sitting on that spectrum here? 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, and this goes back to conversations. I've been on the road for the past month or two, and quite honestly, it's a seller's market. Um, I think partly, you know, I think politically speaking, there's all this talk about infrastructure out of Washington, uh, in the U.S. at least, about, you know, where money needs to be put, whether that actually happens or not. So different, I have different opinions on that. But the reality being that uh, I think the sellers see this. They know that the vultures are circling. Um, and I think you mentioned a little while ago on the utility side, you know, there are, think of what, there's seven states that have some form of uh, fair market value or some policy in place that enables a, a better deal for the municipalities. Um, as well as the buyer to do these transactions. Um, so whether that be in you know Indiana or Missouri or Pennsylvania and New Jersey and so on. So there are de there are policies in place that enable that. Um, yeah, I think that in some respect there has been maybe even some frustration on the buyer side um, because also like I said with all with a lot of. Uh, uh, Wall Street money out there, private equity firms looking to get into this, it, it can make it uh, competitive as well because they're looking for specific plays also. I mean, for instance, uh, back to the utility segment, I mean, Blackstone has the large infrastructure fund that they've recently announced. It's backed by the Saudis, or at least they're big investors in it. They're looking for deals as well, I believe. So that's, you know, there's a lot of money out there waiting to be deployed. The question is, can they find the scale? All great stuff, and and I'm just kind of thinking here, Reese. What what kind of what have I missed? Is, have I missed anything about what what we ought to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, what what the the M and A market's looking like for water? What, what else would you want to? Uh, what other messages would you want to impart to the listener? Yeah, I think um, I think the hardest thing about the whole uh, market is that you know. There are a lot of different angles that people are – the market is big. You know, there's so many different angles. And so oftentimes people come to us and say, you know, hey, we're looking at revising our strategy. We're thinking for looking at new ways to adapt to the market conditions. Uh, we think water is an opportunity. Where should we be? I mean, it's as simple as that, you know, what should we do? Um, and it may be constrained to specific geography, but, well, they're not in the space at all. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, you've got some, and I'm simplifying quite honestly, but the reality of it is like, well, you've got, you know, the industrial sector, but even within the industrial sector, you've got, I've mentioned oil and gas, but then you've got food and beverage, You've got uh, mining. You've got the power sector um, that all have their their. Some of them are mercurial in their own right, um, <laughs> and then you've got the, the the municipal sector, and I think that is one of the big issues that you know we've got. As I said, outsiders looking in, where it's like, we want to get into this, but I can't buy. You know, they'll say I can't buy a utility, you know, one system for, you know, I don't know, $20 million. I need, you know, they'll say, I spend a billion dollars at any given time. I need something big that I can build on. And so what does that mean, you know, is what's going to happen with Pittsburgh? Is that going to be acquired, the, the water utility there? Is it going to be a public-private partnership? Um, or, is, you know, and I think the challenge also in, a, in on the utility side when a utility oftentimes is willing to sell, 
that means that things probably aren't going all that well. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the challenge that I think a lot of companies have is they look at it and they say, oh, no, you know, you know, well, if I buy this and as soon as they buy it, it's on them. So then they've got to start dealing with problems. And I think that's been a bit of a challenge. Yeah, so. I, I think you're right. And I think that's why that's why regulators and state legislatures are looking to add those sweeteners uh, for acquisitions because they know that that some of these utilities are in trouble uh, and they don't they either don't have the political will to raise the rates. They don't have, uh, you know, for, for whatever reason, things haven't gone well and. Right. And uh, they, they need to find someone to take over that gets the utility business and is willing to invest the capital in the in the system to do it. And so uh, I, I think really that's where – that's to me, that's where the sweeteners come in um, to, to help with the returns so that those – you know, it gives, it gives that, uh, that investor an incentive to make the investment and get the utility kind of turned around. But, right. But all right. Well, you know, Reese, you've been uh, – You've been great, as always. Uh, I really appreciate when you come on, uh, and I'm, I'm glad we had this opportunity to take a, uh, a larger chunk of time to talk about these issues than we uh, typically spend on the Bluefield on tap segments. But I, but I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, talking with us about the M and A markets. No, it's exciting, and like I said, you know, we're putting out ongoing research on this, so our analysts are always tracking this. I'm happy to always talk about M and A and the deal flow because honestly, it is where it is changing the profile of the industry. Like I said, you've got these different companies coming from the outside looking in. You've got large industrial companies that may have a small small footprint in water, even indirectly, but they're uh, sort of staking, uh, taking greater stake of the market overall to provide, provide solutions because we think there's an opportunity. So, yeah, I'm happy to uh, always talk about this among other things. And, uh, <laughs> It's been great to uh, to do it today. Good deal. Well, Reese, where can folks uh, who want to find out more about you and Bluefield Research go to, to get that information? Let's see if I can do this. <laughs> www.bluefieldresearch.com. Awesome. Well, again, Reese, thanks so much for coming on. Have a great Halloween, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Dave. Well, you too. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that inter- interview with Reese Tisdale, the president of Bluefield Research. He does, as always, a great job. And for those of you who've listened for a while and heard a lot of Bluefield on tap segments, you know he knows the water industry. And so he does a, he does just an absolutely fantastic job. Uh, and I've, I've really appreciated the friendship that we've kind of created over uh, the last year and a half or so. Uh, he's, he's just a good guy. I hope that comes through on these interviews. But he's he's fantastic. So. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please leave those on the show notes. You can find the show notes for this episode at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 113. That's thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 113. You can tweet about the show using the hashtag watervalues. You can tweet at me at my Twitter handle, which is at DTM1993. And if you want to email me, uh, my email is david at thewatervalues.com. That's david at thewatervalues.com. Shoot me an email. Let me know what's on your mind. If you have topics uh, or guests that you think would be interesting to those in the uh, water sector, I'd, I'd love to hear your ideas uh, because I'm always looking for, for uh, you know, great content that we can uh, push out to, uh, to the water sector here. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. I uh, just want to say that in closing – 
Please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.